When he sent me packing down Green River Valley I knew that if you couldn't then no Hello, ciao, hola, bonjour, or uh, bonsoir, depending on what time it is where you are. Uh, this is Adam with Mile High Stash, the podcast that asks what five albums you would take to a remote Colorado cabin in the event of a zombie apocalypse, armed with only food, water, and a crank-powered Victrola. Um, it is hot here in Colorado right now. It is very hot. Um, my new place has three floors, and we've got three temperatures here, like 70, 80, and 90, depending on the floor. Um, I was just in uh, Los Angeles doing an interview that you're going to hear in a, in a few weeks here, um, and I got to jump in the ocean, which was very necessary and nice. But now, uh, when I'm not riding my bike up in the mountains where it's cooler and um, I'm inside working and listening to music, um, whether it's uh, my favorite radio station, 105.5, the Colorado Sound, or uh, lately, actually, uh, a lot of the late, great, talented, rebel, legend, genius, Sinead O'Connor, or um, also the new debut album by Nathaniel Riley called Bird Songs. Um, young Nathaniel is our guest today on Mile High Stash, and he's a Fort Collins singer-songwriter who's n- known for sort of um, indie folk music, uh, uh, usually solo style, but his new album is kind of experimental, or at least uh, um, ambitious, um, in a way that uh, surprised me. Um, he's got um, a great band, on there, including some Colorado luminaries uh, contributing, like uh, Bridget Law, Emma Rose, Steve Varney from uh, Gregory Allen Isakov's band, who was a uh, recent guest on My Life Stash. Uh, check out Nathaniel's Bird Songs wherever you get your music. Um, it was released earlier this month everywhere. Um, also, check out Clay Rose of gasoline lollipops with me on drums uh saturday august 5th at oscar blues and lions and then uh, saturday august 19th at oscar blues and longmont those are free shows and clay and i will burn down those barns or die try uh all right here's my chat with singer songwriter nathaniel riley this episode is um a little bit like neil young sponsored by nobody so please do make a donation to Mile High Stash, if you're able to, at milehighstash.com, or just drop me a few bucks on Venmo at AdamIce9 to help keep this this thing going. Maybe get me some coffee to keep me going. All right, see you on the other side of my chat with Nathaniel Riley. Nathaniel Riley, are you from South Dakota? Is that what you say? I am from South Dakota. Yeah. I, was, I was actually born in Connecticut. Yeah. Um, but I moved to South Dakota when I was eight. So I say that's where I'm from. That's where I figured it all out, you know? Yeah. yeah. But do you have memories of the East Coast too? I do. Yeah. yeah. And I would go back there. Um, I try to once a year, you know. Hmm. Uh, see, most of my family's there. I moved to South Dakota. Um, 
just with my mom and my grandparents and my mm-hmm. siblings who moved out there and uh it was definitely a change of scenery that's for sure and we have like the old you know cliche story of like you know i grew up on a farm you know mm-hmm. i always say that we weren't farmers by tradition or anything we just my mom was obsessed with animals and they made her happy so we just kept getting more until yeah. <laughs> until we had a barn over here and another one on the hill and yeah it was cool and you went to high school out there went to high school out there yeah it was that was interesting for sure uh i was the only kid who played guitar yeah <laughs> and i remember telling my um my friends to be like hey ask your mom you know for this guitar and amp for christmas like let's start a band yeah. that needs someone to play music with and and uh yeah that yeah, was crazy for sure it never happened though it did. it did oh yeah yeah and actually it ended up you know the the, the kids that stuck with it we ended up being a band for a long time yeah um, we did pretty well we were a rock band and what was the band little, called uh we were called hideaway <laughs> and yes. uh yeah it was like this emo you know sort of like alt rock thing and um yeah we would we would play around the midwest like fort collins and nebraska and south dakota wyoming that kind wow. of thing but we were high schoolers so we couldn't really do too much and yeah. uh yeah right when things started to take off i uh you know, I, I decided to dip out and, uh, and, uh, yeah, try some other things. Move, I moved to Colorado. Yeah. Um, yeah. Changed some things up. You moved to Fort Collins? Moved to Fort Collins. Yeah. Why Fort Collins? Uh, that's where my partner's from. Yeah. 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 We had a baby and, uh, and she was from there and, uh, I think her family dynamic was a little bit better than mine at the yeah. time. So we yeah. decided to, to do that. And, uh, and I knew the music scene was, uh, was good. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I would, I mean, I would drive from South Dakota to Colorado like once a month to see shows, you know, because it it wasn't happening up there. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was cool. So Colorado was always one of those things like, oh, it's happening down there. I got to find my way down there, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I agree. It's, it's still a happening thing, you know? I mean, uh. You don't have to look too far for inspiration everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. whether that be the mountains or the music scene or, or art scene in general, you know. Do you spend much time in Boulder and Denver and and realize how special Fort Collins is in, the, in like the music scene in the way the town supports music too? Yeah, totally. Yeah, music for sure. Um, yeah, I think that the the people in Fort Collins right now are just really excited about the people who are performing around town mm-hmm. to where um and there's certain places that are also like really involved with the artists and the art community to where they're excited to be at the place, they're excited to see the artists. So yeah, I, um yeah, it's pretty crazy. I talk to my friends about it a lot um just how uh, how grateful and we are and how surprising it all is you know mm-hmm. i mean it just it, it just kind of happens and uh it's cool to to get to do that with your friends and and uh yeah just see, just see the community that actually cares about supporting uh, what we're doing and and uh yeah have you engaged with the music district and that oh for that sure. whole thing mm-hmm. yeah so i have the membership there and yeah yeah, which is, which is really cool. I mean, it was different when I first showed up to town. I, I was like, oh, what, what is this place? You know, they had teachers there, and I knew I knew that there was people there that, um, you know, 
might be interesting to talk with. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took a couple of years to develop. And then, and then, um, I have, a, am friends with Kyle Hauser there. I don't know if you yeah, know Kyle, yeah. but, um, anyway, um, yeah, I am involved with the music district. That's where I do a lot of like rehearsals before shows and stuff. It's cool. They, they have different rooms where you can do pre-production kind of stuff or they have like a live room and, uh, yeah, just a bunch of sweet resources. I was a part of the little trial where during the pandemic we got to use, there was like 40 or something musicians and we'd get to use the space, you know, for yeah. seeing how that would work, you know. It was stocked with the amps and the and the uh, the recording equipment and the sparkling waters, you know. Yeah, <laughs> All yeah. that, it was cool. Um, and then I'm all, I also went through like their sync licensing thing too. That was mm-hmm. neat, yeah, with the Assemble Sound. Have you had any success with that? I haven't pushed super hard for it, to tell yeah, you the truth. Yeah. yeah, I've just been... I would like to, um, but, yeah, I've just been really focused on uh, sort of, like, the, the basics, I guess, of what's in front of me right now, getting the record out and then performing more than than the sync thing. Is but, this your first solo, like, full-length album? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. How does that feel? feels crazy yeah Yeah. no it feels it feels really good um yeah i I always you know when i think about it i i say it's all the feelings you know i'm i'm excited and terrified at the same time you Mm -hmm. know and uh i'm excited because it's um you know i'm I'm just really proud of how it came together and it, it was a really fond memory um making it with with all the folks i made it with and and it's nice to just sort of like you know, just uh, sort of capture a moment in your life, you know, mm-hmm. and that's really what this this feels like for me. Um, yeah, yeah, and, it, and you know, and it's scary because it is the first, and you know, I I've put so much into it, whether that be like, you know, living the song and the and then like all the rehearsals and writing that goes into the song and financially, you know, so when you're getting ready to put something out and you're just hoping people, you know, care about it. Uh, yeah. That can be kind of scary, but you know, whatever. <laughs> it's part in, of the journey. In some ways, your first album is like a lot um, of pressure, you know, because it's your, it's the first impression. Yeah. But also your first album is the easiest one to make because you have your whole life up until that point, all your experiences, there's no deadline. Yeah. Um, and then your second album that's the hardest one. Yeah. Because then it's like, here, do this in a, a year, a year or so. Um, I'm actually really surprised by your album because when we met, um, you opened for Rolling Harvest at Swing Station. Mm-hmm. And it was like folky train hopping music. Yeah. You know? And I remember Alexander and I were both just like, this kid is awesome. And... Uh, a lot of people around here, young guys especially, I think, try to be Gregory Allen Isikoff. Mm. And you sounded to both of us like you had listened to him and maybe you like him, but you don't want to sound like him. Yeah. And you're, and um, it, it's definitely more gritty as well. But then I hear the advance of the album and... I mean, there are a lot of layers on it. Mm-hmm. And um, how many instruments do you play on it? Uh, I played 
primarily guitar. I did some electric guitar, some banjo stuff. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I, I kind of stuck within bringing the song to the table, like my, my acoustic versions. And I worked with Darren Garvey Mm -hmm. on that and we did a lot of pre-production. So Darren, um, he played a lot of the electric guitar there. And then we brought in just some people that, um, that Darren knew and that I knew that, um, you know, I had always kind of looked up to in the, Hmm. in the music community. Like who? Uh, well, we have so I had Bridget Law on there. Oh, she's great. Yeah, yeah. she and she's playing fiddle. That was uh, that was crazy. I remember first getting those tracks back, and it was like so much at once, uh, in a good way. But I remember kind of being like, like stepping back, thinking like, "Holy crap, do it! Is is this good? Like, is this is this <laughs> the right move?" And then and then listen the second time, and it was it was just crazy. Uh, you know, it it really kind of. Um, you know, it really made the songs uh, special uh, mm. in that way. The the fiddle playing there, I had seen her play for so long, and it was yeah. so cool to get her on the album. And, and I'm friends with Steve Varney, and I had him play banjo because I oh, love great. his claw hammer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was really cool too because when I did the demos for the album, I play banjo as well, and I I wrote banjo parts for the whole album. Mm. And I remember thinking like, I'm really connected to these banjo parts, you know. Mm. And uh, so I was a little bit nervous, like having somebody else play the banjo. Um, but I liked his mix of claw hammer and finger picking, and, and I knew that that would be pretty melodic. And uh, and he came in and started laying down stuff that was pretty dang close to what I had going on. So it was just cool that the songs, everything moved so fluidly, you know, um, and, and it just things fell in the in its place. Uh, it felt very, very right, you know. It was, it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's surprising in that it brings together a lot of influences and, um, a production that you wouldn't necessarily expect if you heard a Nathaniel Riley solo thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that was actually an intentional move was to, um, really push the boundaries of like my limits sonically like I want I knew all along I wanted to move from being like you know uh, just a solo guy in the chair mm-hmm. um I because I have a lot of enjoyment with playing music with other people I mean primarily that would be one of the main reasons and uh I really do like the sound of like other instruments and and, and dynamics and that so going into it I knew that um we'd be bringing in the full band and pushing the limits as to like how far I would go with that. Um, so yeah. And now I do play with the band, which is really cool. Um, Who's in the band? So I have a buddy named Joe Asker who plays bass. He's a really good jazz upright bass player. Uh, and then I have a person named Crispy Watkins who plays banjo. And then, uh, Carly Ann who plays fiddle. They're, they're a bunch of Fort Collins uh, mm-hmm. people. And then uh, a person named Maxwell Treader who plays drums, mm-hmm. and uh, Aaron Youngberg plays pedal steel. Um, who yeah. sings on the record? There's a there's a woman who sings. On the uh, that's Emma Rose. Oh, Emma great! Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm friends with her. That was really cool um, to get her in on that. I love her voice, and uh, I could listen to her sing the newspaper, and I would be yeah very happy. I know, yeah, right? She's incredible. <laughs> Sound of honey, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Did you get into like birding during the pandemic? Is that what this is about? 
It's funny. is that one? It's funny you asked that. <laughs> I was yeah. wondering. Yeah, so the the whole bird concept goes back a little bit further than that. My my grandma really loved birds, mm. and uh, you know they were always kind of a thing. Like there'd be bird clocks and and cardinal decorations everywhere, and uh, you know like every time the hour would change, there'd be a different bird chirping out of this clock and and bird books and bird puzzles. So they're always kind of around, and I always found myself. Um, being a cloud watcher and bird watcher simultaneously whenever I needed to kind of just think about stuff. I, I really enjoyed looking up at the sky and watching them. And then um, during the pandemic, yeah, I kind of became a bird watcher yeah. because right outside my window, there's this big tree that just fills up with these finches. And, and from you know, they'd wake me up before the sun was up and, and they would chirp until the very end of the day, you know, and mm. I would just... I had nothing else to do other than write songs and hang out on the porch. So I just do that and, and watch the birds and they just became this revolving thing. And, um, you know, I write a lot of like songs from a place of like nostalgia or sentimental value. So it also felt sort of right to just narrow it down and be like, Oh, well, my grandma loved birds. And, and there's some songs in the record that kind of revolve around that time period. And then, and then here they are again. Mm. And I think it was a lesson that I, or just something about myself that I learned, like, oh, birds are pretty significant, more than I thought, you know, mm. in my life. Uh, so here I am. Let's call the album Bird Songs, yeah. you know. I think that you sing, I wish you could hear bird songs. Yeah. So who is who do you wish could hear? Oh, it's interesting you asked that. Uh, really myself. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was, uh, I was spending a lot of time um, and, and still do, you know, I, I, I sometimes get in these rhythms of, um, I, I have like this manic depression thing that gets kind of weird. And, and sometimes I'll get into rhythms where it's like, I'll just spend a whole day just kind of like out, you know, wherever I, I don't know, just, just not where I'm at. Um, mm. you know, just thinking about stuff. And, and I think like the whole, lyric i wish you could hear the bird songs is more of just a line of like i wish you could wake up and pay attention mm. like literally like wake up out of bed and, and 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 hear those birds you know and like really take in the moment of the day um which i do but i also sometimes struggle with that too so it's more of like a, a lyric that's sort of just like a reminder mm. uh and yeah sort of a note to myself like i wish you could hear the bird songs you know do you uh, wake up and immediately look at your phone yeah the alarm you know <laughs> so there you have that you know uh there's the alarm when i wake up um that's a good question I, I, maybe i should pay more attention to that whether i do or not i'd like to say that i don't mm -hmm. um but i must because i don't know what else i was doing right maybe roll a joint or something mm -hmm. i don't know yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> At least you're past waking up because the baby's crying. Yeah. That's a whole <laughs> yeah. era. Okay, so I'm going to ask you the the ridiculous question that I ask everybody. Yeah. And um, most recently it was actually Steve Varney. Uh, and um, if you were stranded in a cabin in, in the mountains in Colorado, which I'm sure um, you can Im imagine really easily, yeah. And all you had was was food and water and an old crank powered Victrola, no electricity. Uh what 
five albums would you bring with you? Yes. I was thinking this could go either way because, you know, maybe you need some like apocalypse hype music to feel strong. So mm. I, I could say something like The Chariot or like uh, Whitechapel or something. Like yeah. That, but uh, no. Uh, the the five albums that I that I would always want to carry with me. Um, the first one uh, would would definitely be For Emma Forever Ago. Yeah. Tony Bear. Yeah. Because, um, am I supposed to elaborate on these? Let's at all? do it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. 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 So that one really that was like the first like acoustic folky thing I had ever heard in my life. Like mm. I was a kid when that came out, and that's you know something that's some people might think is weird or whatever. But um, yeah, I was like I don't know, like thirteen, maybe younger uh-huh. or something like that, and. Uh, I remember when it came out and just thinking like, holy cow, this is this is a whole new world of music. And and I would listen to it every day. And I remember just sitting and dissecting every bit of it with my friend. And, and I started buying recording equipment and recording acoustic music mm. because of that album. Yeah. Well, it also has a little bit of an, um, an apocalyptic vibe, you know, because it, it has this whole isolation vibe. Yeah. It's like, I think it has a vibe of somebody who's maybe hurt and like ran away from their feelings and their life and is just in isolation in, in maybe literally a cabin somewhere, like writing songs and recording them. That's what it sounds like to me anyway that's the story i heard you know i don't know you know people make up myths all the Mm. time but you know rumor has it like that's what he did with that album you know so yeah definitely uh yeah i love it and then uh another one um this is my favorite musician of all time uh the album's called into the depths of hell Mm. and it's um by a guy named joshua burnside who pretty sure he's an irish folk singer I hope I didn't get that one wrong because I know they take that serious. Um, but I love that album uh, a whole lot. And uh, and I listen to it every day and, and have since it came out in 2020, you know. Um, we'll have to put that on the, the Mile High Stash yeah. playlist because I never heard it. Oh, and that sounds cool. It's so good. It's It's very, like, experimental folk kind of stuff. And what's cool is some of his melodies sound almost like old traditional like irish folk tunes mm. um have you seen him play live i have not he hasn't come to the u.s since mm. i found out about him so well, you got to go over there i know right yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I got to play with a uh one of his friends named anna mika and she's um up there as well and, and she's very good i played in denver with her and i was just kind of over the moon because mm. uh, you know joshua burnside <laughs> you know you're part of he's the your favorite above scene. like Bob Dylan or Leonard Cohen or anybody like that? You know, it's it's interesting because, yeah, those guys, I, th- I think I think it's different. Like, mm-hmm. those guys are always there as, like, cornerstones. And, um, and, and it's almost like, it's almost like Joshua Burnside, um, you know, like he's he's really speaking to me currently, and and really it's it's hitting, it's mm-hmm. it's it's striking a chord with me, um, as 
where Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen, like, they've been doing that for me. So I guess it's hard to say, really. It's really hard to say. Um, but yeah, I do I do love his music. And, and lately, for the last three years, I've been holding it up on the pedestal of being yeah. my, yeah, my favorite, for sure. I was actually pretty late to Bob Dylan. My first time ever getting into Bob Dylan, I was 21. Uh, mm. So, was, yeah, that was five years ago. And I was in Netherland. I remember being in Netherland and... and put bob dylan on which album was it uh i couldn't even tell you to tell you the truth i i took a a hit of acid and put on some bob dylan (laughs) and walked through netherland the woods Mm -hmm. up there yeah um and it really um i just remember thinking like damn i'm so late to this (laughs) but it's so good and i have so much work to do right now um yeah i do love bob dylan and leonard cohen of course but yeah um number three yeah number three Definitely uh, Our Endless Number of Days by Iron and Wine. Yeah. That's a good one. I th- uh, you know, I'm always, like I said, a sucker for nostalgia and, and, and sentimental stuff. And uh, that whole album revolves around that. A lot of his songs do. You know, mm-hmm. it's like these crazy stories of... It's almost like... N- not to make a, such a, a a bold comparison, but like... John Prine had a way of his lyricism relating a lot to like the everyday person and like waking up and what you would do in your day. And I mm. think Iron and Wine does something similar with that, mm. you know, uh, which is just really cool. Every time I hear it, it it's like uh, it teaches me some some good values, I think. So, mm. yeah, you know, just just how to how to approach life and, uh, you know, love the people around you kind of thing. It's got some sweetness in it. And I guess uh in the apocalypse, you might need a little bit of sweetness. Totally. That's yeah. exactly, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, some things to brighten the mood. But yeah. number four is all energy for the apocalypse. This is to, like, make the essential tools and, you know, take care of business. Uh, I've I've always loved this band called Brand New. And they're, they're like a rock, they're this, like, heavy kind of emo rock band. And they have an album called The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me. Hmm. And that was the first album um, where I, I heard it and it was like, this is what I need to do for the rest of my life. Like, mm. that, that music connected with me so deeply uh, and still does. Um, it's really, it's pretty aggressive stuff. But uh, it's just one of those things, you know, I'm, I'm always... Um, finding myself listening to it and you know there's some controversy with, with brand new uh, you know they disbanded there's a whole like he was a part of the, the me too thing mm-hmm. and, and so I've always felt a little like shy to, to admit that but mm-hmm. truthfully um, that album's been with me my whole life and not to sound cliche but it's one of those ones where it's like yeah maybe, maybe it even you know saved me in a certain way you know it, it really pulled me out of some shit and uh and just really showed me like the power of what music can do uh for the listener and, and audience in general mm-hmm. yeah it was cool i'll have to check that out too yeah and the last one uh this one has always is another you know original old school thing I've always been listening to. It's called the the Church of the Good Thief by What's right. That? Uh, it's by Right Away Great Captain, uh, and 
right away great captain is a side project of a band called manchester orchestra i don't know if you've heard of them yeah it's it's good stuff it's like it's like mid 2000s you know sort of emo rock but right away great captain was sort of like this folk inspired like really kind of like lo-fi sounding songs where he would just layer harmonies and like keys over really simple acoustic guitar and they're all conceptual albums from my understanding so like it's about the sailor who creates some kind of crime and and then gets well he was a person he committed a crime and then was cast away as a sailor Mm -hmm. and then the perspective is you know him on the ship for the rest of his life wanting to be you know back home uh, with his what was you know his ex-wife or whatever um but you know not to say I'm relating to like sailor life or anything, it, it, because he has a way of also just doing what great songs do, where um, it's really relatable. It's and it's really beautiful stuff, you know. Um, and I always, I've always listened to it, uh, especially when when I'm looking for inspiration with music, just something to like get me excited about what I'm doing. You mm-hmm. know, that would be one of the ones I would put on. Well, first. thank you for sharing all this new stuff. I'll have to listen to. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, but as far as old stuff, is there an interlude on your record where it's like "Wish You Were Here" on banjo? Because that's what it sounded like. <laughs> yeah, you like that. That's cool. I I never thought of it as as that Pink Floyd tune, but but now that you say that, I could see that, and that's also really cool because that was one of the. It might be everybody's first song they learned on guitar, right. but but and it was mine. And uh, but yeah, no, I I love Pink Floyd. I love Leonard Cohen. I love Bob Dylan. Towns Van Sant plays fully, like all that stuff. But mm. to be honest with you, growing up, all that stuff was in front of me a lot. And I, at the time, I was just like, oh, I don't need that. Like, I, I need rock, and I need mm. like, I need people to understand me. You know, I felt like, uh, you know, I needed to, to kind of run away from what actually really was my roots, which is part of the reason why folk music came on so strong for me. Uh, was just realizing that that it was more a part of me than I thought and more important to me than I ever would have thought, you know? And um, so, yeah, I started getting into all that again. And really, I should say properly for the first time uh, within, like, the last five years, you Mm. know? Uh, I was past 21, you know, when I started listening to all that. What year were you born? 96. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're still a kid to me. <laughs> you know, and that, and that's what's funny. It's like, oh, for Emma Forever Ago, like that that was like one of my childhood records, even though maybe to some people that's still like a a modern record or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, that's like when Nevermind came out or something. For you, it's probably, uh, I imagine, like the first Fleet Foxes record or something. Totally. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. That was, yeah. I remember being young and and very inspired by that stuff when it was coming out, you know. What kind of music was around in your household when you were growing up? Uh, My earliest memory was actually the MTV Unplugged Nirvana session. Yeah. Uh, That was always playing. Um, Super cool. Tori Amos, uh, that was another one that was always playing. My mom loved Jewel. Yeah, I actually think Jewel's pretty cool too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, 
my, my parents were pretty young uh, when I was born, so I feel like they, they had a pretty good taste in music for, for a minute there. Um, but it took a quick turn. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, honestly, man, like, it was like George Strait, Luke Bryan, like, you know, all those guys. And I'm not very fond of that stuff. So yeah. I used to, I used to say it would get me car sick or whatever. <laughs> you know, I'm just not into pop country. But, but back when I was younger, um, and when they were younger, it was a lot of that stuff. And, and, uh, and, and that, those songs, you know, they stuck with me for sure. I still love them. And, uh, yeah. And, my, you know, my, my grandpa would listen to a lot of like Hank Williams, you know, mm. um, in, in classic rock, you know, like the standard, like, like Pink Floyd or Led mm. Zeppelin, The Doors, you know, The Doors was one that was always playing when I was growing up. Um, what, are, what are your feelings on James Taylor? Uh, I haven't listened to him enough to tell you the truth yeah. to to have much of a of a opinion. Because I heard like in in your music, I heard like in this album just a very very slight James Taylor thing. Yeah, what, which reminds me of when I interviewed Reed Fail, and I said I heard some Jackson Brown, and he was like, "No, not at all." <laughs> yeah, so you know, you know, I'll take it though because everybody that you know, I've had a lot of people. I hear a lot of people speak very highly of James Taylor and, and the things that I've heard I really like too, but no, um, I don't think, I, I think when I was doing the album, I was on a big like Blaze Foley, Towns and Hank Williams kick yeah. and the Carter family. Yeah. I was into all those like pretty heavily when yeah. I first started recording. The album does a really, a really good job of mixing that, that, you know, dusty, folky old music with this modern production and drums and electric guitar i just wasn't expecting that at all yeah it's really cool thanks i'm yeah. glad you think so yeah that was you know that was um i held my breath that's for sure because i wasn't sure how it would go but yeah. um you know having uh darren garvey and aaron youngberg kind of helped me steer the ship that mm -hmm. that was big you know uh yeah it was cool we live tracked the album like half of it you know wow. we, we did the guitar drums and and bass all live tracked and uh and then we started seeing things really come together after that and then mm -hmm. you know possibilities felt endless after that mm -hmm. <laughs> so i don't need this to turn into like a, a, a naropa class yeah you know therapy or anything but there's a line in one of your songs that says um my father worked all day and i wanted to know like what was your father doing or what is this image? Yeah. You know, but then you alluded to like, you, you moved with your mom. So you don't have to talk. <laughs> yeah. Anybody. No, that's cool. It actually means a lot that you listen to the album like that. Um, yeah. So there's a couple different, uh, my, my parents divorced when I was two. So I mm. had two father, I had actually several different people that were father figures in my life. Um, my my actual biological father, um, very close with him, and mm. and he did work very hard. He would uh, work on construction sites a lot. Mm. So, you know, the line is, um, you know, he'd haul minerals for trade. You mm. know, and so that that was thinking about him. You know, I, I remember just being a kid, like so bored, sitting by a dirt pile. You know, they're they're like playing mm. the dirt pile. You can do whatever you want right. in the dirt pile, and I'm just watching him haul these rocks around and for hours and and he actually loved it for for a time you know mm. um and then my you know and it also kind of goes back to like 
my other father figure, um, my stepfather, and and um, same thing. You know, he worked uh, on the in the mines and and on the railroad, and um, you know, on the farm. Like it was just crazy. That guy would be out there. Sometimes I most when I was younger, a lot of the times I'd be out there with him. We'd just work until like two in the morning, you know, mm-hmm. like hauling hay or something like that. Um, yeah, you know, it's just kind of that line is kind of about, you know, just working to <laughs> working your ass off till your days are done, you know, because you have to, because you have to, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it was, uh, I, you know, I don't really come from a, a whole lot of money and, and I do come from a lot of hardworking people, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, so that, that's what that line's about. Uh, specifically that line that that whole song is actually pretty complex but yeah that line well you can talk about the rest with your therapist yeah right yeah no (laughs) kidding yeah (laughs) i'm imagining that one of these father figures was into like modern country music totally (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) definitely my stepdad loved all that stuff for sure and um yeah So you have your first um, full-length album coming out. Uh, what are your plans? What are your goals? And yeah, uh, you know, definitely to to start playing out more. You know, I play around Colorado and specifically Fort Collins a lot. I would really like to start playing out of state more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that, that's kind of the plan. Is you know, I'm still very small, so it's it's a matter of figuring out how to make that um, move logical and sustainable you know i I and you have a kid i have a kid and i still work full-time you know and and i'm in the middle of this transition uh in good timing you know i can feel and and i see like it's becoming a lot to where i i do need to make the transition and start putting my cards in the right pile to make Mm -hmm. that transition um but still it's just i I know nothing's a straight and narrow path, but I, I really want to feel safe when I do that. And and I am so grateful that I live in Colorado because it's pretty sustainable for musicians, Colorado. You know, I mean, like, uh, the people love music here, you know, so I can fulfill a lot of that itch uh, mm-hmm. with my people here in Colorado um, while I'm kind of like, you know figuring out how to get out of state you know i'm gonna start booking some flights really is what it comes down yeah. to i don't have any what about like laramie like that. And, oh yeah uh, i play laramie all that yeah i play laramie i played nebraska I, I go back to south dakota to play mm-hmm. um i'm gonna go to new mexico hopefully in the fall and then i would really like to kind of do i i have this I, I haven't told a lot of people this but i have seen the ocean three times and i've never been further west than the upper tip of wyoming so I've never seen California, never seen California wow. or any of those states. Um, I've never been further south than New Mexico. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of reasons why uh, what's driving me to make this happen, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, the idea is to make it a little more casual and just kind of do little drop ins where I'll mm-hmm. hopefully fly into California. And I have a bunch of friends on the West Coast and up into Washington and um, yeah, start playing there. You know, you're at a great age, too. Yeah. Like, not too young and not too old as far as, like, getting people's attention and sustaining it. And um, you can still make some mistakes, and that's okay, too. Yeah. And there's no 
at the age you're at, there's not a judgment of like, well, I'm I'm not gonna give this guy my time because if he hasn't made it yet, then he must not be good. Like, yeah. you know, like you're at a great age, and uh, I'm not gonna give you <laughs> career <laughs> advice or anything. Yeah, but um, thanks for saying that though. I always feel like I'm I'm old and run out of time. You know, no, <laughs> uh, absolutely not. Yeah. Now I want to take you to San Francisco and show you all, all my favorite places. Yeah. I would love that. Um, how is it having a six-year-old at, what, you're 24? 26. You're yeah. 26. Yeah, so I was 20 when she was born. Yeah. I, I had my um, child when I was 29, and... Um, I can't imagine having been a father at uh, 20. Yeah. I just, I mean, I, like, I was definitely a dumbass at 29 <laughs> when I, when we had her. Yeah. So <laughs> what's it like to have all these big things? Like, she started kindergarten when, you know, you were 25. Yeah. I, you know, I've always been the type to say, like, I could never relate with somebody when they'd be like, oh, I'm. I'm so different now. Like, thank goodness I grew up. Like, I, you know, I, I lived a pretty hard life when I was young. Not like I made bad decisions. It was like there was a lot of things that I had to face. And I think yeah. that, um, you know, because of that, it, it, I had grown up a long time ago. You know, mm. not not to toot my own horn or anything, but I, I had to figure shit out pretty quick. Right. And um, so when it happened... Um, I was in a great relationship. I am still in that relationship. Uh, uh, and it, yeah, it was just like, well, let, let's just see how it goes. Mm -hmm. You know, like it, it doesn't feel like we can't do this. And what was really cool is there's always been the support around the music. You know, I mean, that's always been a conversation. You know, when it, when the decision was being made to have a child, it was like, well, we cannot give up what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and we'll find a way to make it work, you know, and growing up it, uh, and, and having her grow up with me in that process, it's awesome because, uh, you know, now she's very artistic and, and she loves, uh, music very, very much. And, uh, I should ask her what her five albums. Are. I know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She'd probably tell you like Joan Jett and Black Sabbath or something nice. right now. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, man, it it wasn't really that hard, you know. I think the hardest part about it is, like, all my friends and all these musician people, like, they're not parents right now, you yeah. know, that that are, that are, like, within my age group. Right. So, like, I am not at every single show, mm -hmm. uh, you know, on the weekend, and I'm, and I'm not hanging out with friends or, like, running around town. Um, mm -hmm. Which sometimes it's like, shit, am I missing out? Like, is this how your music career unfolds is by like spending, of course, like you spend time with your community, you know? And, and so I did have insecurities that maybe like I was missing out in that way. But, uh, you know, it, it really just come back to like what feels right. And I, even, even if I didn't have, um, my daughter, I'm really not that much of a social butterfly yeah. type of person. So I probably wouldn't do anything different. You know, I'd probably still be at home and, uh, and just doing my thing, you know, which yeah. I've always done. I mean, when I was a kid, um, I remember I'd buy a track phone and, and 
throw it away like 10 days later. I never had a cell phone throughout <laughs> high school or anything yeah. like that. It was just not, I don't know what it is. For better or for worse, I have a weird relationship uh, with, with people, you know, sometimes. Well, thank you for coming all the way down here, yeah. branching out <laughs> socially. Yeah. You know. Did you play the Gold Hill Inn recently? I did an hour vinyl session at the Gold Hill Inn. Yeah, and that was so cool. I was telling Brian Finn, the owner, about you, and he was like, oh, he just played up here. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. glad he said that. Because, yeah, man, I would... Since I was 18, I would drive from South Dakota to go catch shows at the Gold Hill Inn, mm -hmm. Gasoline Lollipops, yeah. you know. Uh, Gregory was another one with mm -hmm. Reed. You know, we mm -hmm. do the Christmas shows. Those were cool. Um yeah, and, and I can't remember everybody, but other folk shows, like, outside. And it was just always such a cool place. Uh, it reminds me a lot of, like, my lifestyle and where mm -hmm. I came from. And uh, so immediately it felt very, um, very comfortable. And so when I started talking to Our Vinyl about doing sessions, they're like, hey, we, you know, we, we really wanted to find a place that fits your vibe like you ever heard of the gold hill Inn? And i was like yeah, <laughs> let's do this, this yep. is, that's so cool you know couldn't have been uh you know i i couldn't have uh asked for better you know and then yeah i got to go up there and hang out and play some songs what do you call it when it's your band do you just say nathaniel mm -hmm. riley yep and they're all supportive of that which yeah. is cool yeah like it, it's so cool to look at my friends on the stage wherever we are and just you know we're we're yeah. living this moment together yeah. and uh and I'm really all about that. So yeah, it's it's been fun. And yeah, it, it, you know, thankfully they're supportive of the whole thing. It really wasn't even much of a of a conversation and and I feel confident in that decision because um I've been in so many bands before that were band names and and they would fall apart and it would mm. be reasons that were out of my control. Yeah. And I was always the songwriter and vocalist and those things. So it was like pieces of myself, huge pieces of myself that were just wasted, you know. And, mm -hmm. and I, sure, I could collect the songs and and rewrite them and do something different. But, you know, it was just rough. So I remember sitting there one day right before the pandemic and just talking to one of my friends at work. And I was like, man, I don't know what to do, you know. And, and he's like, you should just have it be your name and... and uh, and then from then forward, my mission was to, like, try my best to not overcomplicate things and simplify mm -hmm. things. It's like, yeah, I'm just going to be who I am. It'll be my name. That way this thing will last for as long as uh, I want it to, mm -hmm. you know. And I, and I felt good about it because, you know, you have Towns Van Zant who would have a band. Leonard Cohen would sometimes have a band. Um, Willie Nelson. Yeah, Willie Nelson. There, yeah. yeah, there's tons yeah. of people who yeah. who would have their names and uh, and a band for and the, the band. Gregory Allen Isakov. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah him yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and Nathaniel Rateliff, mm -hmm. You know, but now he has the night sweats, so mm -hmm. I guess that's a little bit different. But yeah, man. So I felt good about it, and I just knew that um, you know I would have sort of like the. Not not control, but for lack of a better word, yeah, the control to just kind of keep this thing afloat the way I want it to. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, you're the it, captain. Yeah, it feels good, yeah. and and everyone's been supportive of that. You know, I, I always say I build the house, and they help me paint and decorate the walls. You know, yeah. that's how it is. What about Nathaniel Riley and the day chills? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
I'm excited for people to listen to this interview to learn more about you and also to hear this new record, which comes out July 14th. July 14th. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Yeah. Yeah, it's coming up. It'll be cool. Yeah. And uh, I already have number two all over the walls. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yep. It'll be good. I'm Some people say it's all. good to save a couple uh, for the second album. Yeah. Yeah, I have. So you don't have all this, all this like pressure to like write really quickly. It's like, no, I got a couple. Yeah. Saved. Oh, oh, you mean for the second album? Yeah, to say that you have just a couple. No. Oh, oh, okay. No, to really save them. And, yeah. And you know. Yeah, there were some songs that didn't make it on this first record that I think will carry over to that one. And yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's crazy. It's kind of a mess. I I think I'm sitting on like 80 songs. And, yeah. And there's uh. There's notes like all over my garage, which is my writing space. I have yeah. like the cliche garage situation right now um but it's cool man it's a good problem to have i guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> until you forget that good one that you wrote like seven months ago right <laughs> and you're like shit that was one i needed to keep but anyway yeah i'm excited for this new record to come out for sure it's, i've sat on it for a long time yeah and uh it was really for a lot of different reasons but i just wanted to Again, like, I just wanted to do things at my own pace, you know, mm -hmm. and what felt good for me. That way I could just have it be as sustainable for myself as possible. Like, my well-being as well, mm. you know. Yeah. yeah, and you have a family that needs to needs you to be sane and solid. And yeah, that stuff. that's important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. We'll go back to them in a couple of minutes. Cause, yeah. <laughs> thank, you. thank you so much for coming all the way down here. Yeah, thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah. yeah, this is cool. I'll give you another hour, then I gotta run, I gotta fly away, leave you to fall. That was Nathaniel Riley and me talking music, Fort Collins, and a lot more. Um, check out Nathaniel on the road by following his tour dates online and check out his debut album bird songs streaming everywhere now um if you're around northern colorado this month check out clay rose of gasoline lollipops with me on drums uh this saturday august 5th at oscar blues and lions and then saturday august 19th my birthday eve at oscar blues and longmont see you there or or i should say and or see you right here on mile high stash next Monday, as usual. Everything will fall I wanna go back to Montreal